Good morning. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 20. And we have uh, come to the 10th and last commandment that we're going to be looking at. Uh, and uh, I want us to uh, be looking at this, do not covet. And I've entitled it, do not covet what is your neighbor's, that which belongs to your neighbor. Uh, throughout this series, we can look and we can notice that there are basically three directions that the commandments point. The first four point upward toward Christ. They point upward. Uh, they point toward God, how we relate to God. You have no other gods before me. You shall not make graven images. God tells us how we are to worship him. And he tells us that there is no one that is to have the throne of our heart except him. So the first four commandments relate to an upward relationship that we have with God. And it is uh, in scripture, uh, we find this verse, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what he calls us to. And that is an upward relationship. And then the second greatest command is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we see the first direction is upward. The second direction is outward. How we love one another, how we love our neighbors, how we care for those who uh, are around us because they uh, have the image of God. They bear the image of God. They are image bearers. And we are to love our neighbor because... They bear the image of God and because we've been commanded to do so. Uh, and uh, because uh, they deserve respect because of being image bearers. But this command, this command kind of stands apart uh, in, uh, in the sense in which it, the direction of it is inward. It's inward. It says there, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Uh, I, I say it's inward because here we're not seeing uh, motion or action so much as we're seeing an attitude. We're seeing that uh, God is commanding us, do not covet. That, that word, we'll talk about it a little bit uh, more later, but it essentially means desire. Something within us. Even when we were looking through the other commands and we would move over into the New Testament, we would find where Jesus said, you've heard that it said, do not commit murder. But if you hate your brother... You've committed murder in your heart. You see, he took it inward. Uh, we need to uh, uh, understand this because coveting uh, is found in all of the other commands. Some of the examples that I gave from Scripture uh, over this time uh, demonstrate that thought. First of all, uh, David coveted his neighbor's wife directly commands not to do that, breaking the 10th commandment. 
That led him to steal her, breaking the eighth commandment. He got, uh, got her pregnant by means of breaking the seventh commandment and then arranged for her husband Uriah to be killed, breaking the sixth commandment. Where did it all begin? Coveting. It all began with him being covetous. I think it was last week we talked about Ahab coveted Naboth's vineyard. It was right next door. Uh, at the, uh, the Ahab's palace. And then right next door was Naboth's vineyard. And Ahab wanted that vineyard. And he said, I'll give you a better vineyard. He said, but that one belonged to my dad. So Ahab framed him by raising up false witnesses, breaking the ninth commandment, judiciously murdered him on the testimony of false witnesses, said his penalty is death, breaking the sixth commandment, and then legally stole the vineyard after it was forfeited to the state. Breaking the Eighth Commandment. And it began with coveting his neighbor's vineyard. What we will find is coveting pervades everything. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, 7, you know what, if it weren't for, uh, if it weren't for the law saying, thou shalt not covet, I wouldn't know what coveting is. But when the law said that and I looked, I found coveting all in me. Why? Because it touches every other command. So I I want us to think about a couple of questions. First of all, what is coveting? Secondly, uh, how do I know when I covet? And thirdly, How do I fight against coveting? What is coveting? How do I know when I covet? And how do I fight coveting? So first, what is coveting? And I want us to do something. I want us to look at verse 17 and and, uh, notice some things about the command. We need to understand that coveting uh, is total. It is looking at completion. We see that in the command. He says, you shall not covet your neighbors, whatever. Uh, So first, notice that the command is repeated. You shall not covet is repeated twice. Y'all ever, in raising your children and and in dealing with your grandchildren and so forth, do y'all ever, have you ever said this phrase, don't make me tell you twice? I've heard that a lot when I was little. Well, when I was growing up too, you know, Gina, she's, I'm not, I'm kidding. But growing up, my dad was like, don't, don't make me tell you twice. I probably heard it from my mom more than anybody. Don't make me tell you twice. And that woman meant it. I found that out real quick. God is reiterating something. He is uh, wanting to put it there to make sure we understand second I want you to notice this and count these things up. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, 
your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. How many did you get? Seven. All right? Now, uh, there being seven, understand something. In Hebrew culture and in Hebrew literature, seven actually means something. It's the number of completion, number of totality. It's almost like he made it seven on purpose by just going completely general at the end or anything that is your neighbor's. So we see that there's a, uh, a totality going on and uh, something is uh, not mentioned here and it belongs to your neighbor. Don't desire it. Don't covet it. Third, notice what it says here. Uh, you shall not cover your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, and then at the end or anything that is your neighbor's. Three times neighbor comes up. Three times. And where neighbor doesn't come up, a per- pronoun pointing back to the neighbor does. And so uh, what, we're, what we see here is we see uh, that, uh, uh, that the neighbor is mentioned three times, uh, his is mentioned four times, and then the blanket, anything. So his and neighbor. He's really driving home the point. So third, we notice that the neighbor is mentioned three times in this command. And why that's vital is because it helps us to understand what's being forbidden here. Whatever belongs to your neighbor. The word covet is a word that can be used for good things depending on the context. Uh, Because the word simply indicates desire. Desire. Now we can have good desires or we can have evil desires. And the evil desires are those that are in view here Specifically, the desire for whatever belongs to someone else, to your neighbor. Now, if God is saying here, you shall not desire, we're all in trouble, right? And so that's something that we need to understand. The desires here are, uh, are pointed towards something. You shall not desire what is your neighbor's. The command is not a uh, generic command that you must not desire at all, but... It's said in context of not desiring that which God has given to your neighbor. What God has given to your neighbor. Don't desire that. And it's repeated over and over again. Fourth, we need to see that uh, it says here, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. That doesn't mean the structure that he lives in. That means his household. You know, most most often people covet and they say this, if I had a house like that, everything would be okay. Or if my family was more like that family, I would be happy. 
We, we compare ourselves to other people, but this is more than mere comparison. This is saying that what God has given my neighbor, he has withheld from him, from, from me, and therefore I'm not happy. Therefore, I don't have contentment. So there's a sense in which coveting blames God for not providing as others have been provided for. So we see here that all of these things are pointing to the totality of the command, the overarching nature of the command as it relates to other things. So covet, the, the word is, it indicates a desire. So let me give you, break down a, uh, a definition, if you will, uh, in answering this question, what, what is coveting? To covet is to have an inappropriate desire for something that belongs to someone else or to have an ungodly desire for anything that would take God's place or primacy or priority. Um, I'll repeat that. To covet is to have an inappropriate desire for something that belongs to someone else or to have an ungodly desire for anything that would take God's place or primacy or priority. Look with me, if you will, at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We find uh, here that Paul um, is giving instruction. And in verse 5, he's instructing the Colossians after pointing them toward Christ and uh, after uh, speaking of how the Gentiles are, he points to this. He says in verse 5, Colossians 3, 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, to covet is idolatrous. Idolatry uh, replaces God. It removes God from a place of primacy and moves instead some object or possession in his place. Paul identified it as idolatry. He goes on and says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And so we should walk in a particular way, and that is that God has primacy, a priority in our hearts and in our lives. So uh, another way to understand this is that coveting is to deny God's providence. If God provides for us, He provides what we need, and we long to have something that He has not given to us in some inordinate way, uh, then we are denying the goodness of the provision that God has given us. We become ungrateful, if you will. He provides all this, and there's one thing that we think we ought to have. And it turns us into those who are not grateful. To covet is to deny God's providence. It's to, in essence, 
Look at how God has provided for us and look at how God has provided for our neighbor. And say, God, it's not fair. You gave them something you didn't give me. Sounds like the world we live in, doesn't it? Coveting is very much at the root of a lot of evil that goes on. As a matter of fact, J.I. Packer writes, coveting is a root of all social evil. Desires that burst the bounds beget actions to match. In other words, when we covet, when our desires go beyond God's intent, God's provision, it leads to all kinds of social ills and issues and problems. James said it like this. He said, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. He says, you want, you desire, and do not have. So what do you do? You fight and you quarrel. Leads to murder oftentimes. So we find, like Paul said in Romans chapter 7, Man, once the law said, do not covet, I found covetousness all in me. It's everywhere. Everywhere I turn. Like I said, that doesn't mean we can't want or desire. But it does mean that we can't want or desire what is someone else's. And someone else's lot, if you will, in life. So how do I know I'm coveting? How do I know I'm coveting? Can you answer that question? How do you know when you're breaking this commandment? There's a few things that I want to point out. Uh, i got four things here that, uh, uh, that I want us to see. And I, I want us to, they come from uh, Kevin DeYoung actually. And his book on the, on the Ten Commandments. Four things. Here, here they are. First of all, if you've heard others to get more for yourself, you might be coveting. You know, it's quite possible if you own a business or if you're in business in some way, or if it could have to do with popularity or anything like that, uh, that you may compromise your values, or you might even play a little cutthroat to get ahead. Whether that be financially, or whether that be just in yourself. You know what, I'll just kind of make this person look a little lower so I can rise up. A little cutthroat, a little compromise. If you've hurt others to get more for yourself, not merely in possessions, perhaps even in fame. The other thing is this. Secondly, if you're preoccupied with making and accumulating more. If that is 
the priority of your life. You know what? I want to make more. It's not enough. Someone was just asking, I know the guy's popular, but I just remember the quote. I don't remember who it was. And someone asked him one time, how much is enough? Y'all be able to tell me who that is later. And his response was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. It never stops being a little bit more. If you're preoccupied with making and accumulating more, acquiring more and more possessions, you say, well, it's not wrong to have things. No, it's not. What's wrong is when your possessions possess you. When those things own you, they become your God. I don't want to know I'm coveting. If you're unwilling to give up what you already have. If you're unwilling to give up what you already have. Now, this is not saying go get rid of everything. What this is talking about is the safety and security that we gain from having our possessions. Y'all have some things that really bring safety and security to your, to your thinking, to your well-being in some way. And you're unwilling to turn loose of those things. You may be coveting if that's the case. If things are our safety and security, then God is not. And we're to trust God with everything. Fourth, if you're frequently grumbling about your house, your spouse, the quality or quantity of your possessions, and the general state of your life, you're more than likely coveting. Complaining about everything you have. You're ungrateful to God for what you do have. And not satisfied, not happy with what you have. You want more? Or you want different? If only is usually how that one starts. If only this. If only I had a husband like that. If only I had a wife like that. If only I had a car like that. If only I had a job like that one. Usually starts with that. If only. We have to be careful about that. But how do I fight this? These things rise up in me. How do I go to war with this? Because covetousness, coveting is sin. And Paul instructs us that we are to put sin to death in our life. We're to kill it. Putting it to death. And so these things that rise up in us, this covetousness, this hatred for others, the lust of our hearts, all these things often have a launching pad of something called coveting. 
How do I war against that? I think we find a little help in Luke chapter 3. We've looked at this before, but we're going to look at it again. Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan River. And people are repenting and coming to be baptized. And some soldiers come to him. And they ask him. And we, what shall we do? That question has to do with to repent. To go in a different direction. What shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money or steal it from anyone by threats or by false accusation, false witness, and be content with your wages. There's a word that people often struggle with, contentment. On the other side of coveting is contentment. Uh, what were they doing? They were coveting. We need more money. There, there, there it is. You're, you're not satisfied with your wages, so what do you do? You extort money from others, basically robbing them of it. How do they do it? What is their means? They give false te- testimony. They uh, give false accusations. And so he says, repentance is this. Turn away from that and be content with what you have. Contentment. Contentment can be quite elusive, can't it? Most of us find ourselves discontented. And because of that discontentment, we pursue things. Things that take God's place, a primacy, or priority. We fall in love with the world. And all that is in it. Even though God's Word says, do not do that. Don't love the world. and Don't love the things in the world. So, John the Baptist is giving us some things here to help us. Contentment is the opposite of, of coveting. What does the Bible say? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And what? These things will be added to you. Covetousness is seeking gain through ungodly means. Whereas godliness with contentment is gain. Paul writes to Timothy. Look with me there. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. It speaks of false teachers and how they are puffed up and how they uh, have a craving for controversy and quarrels about words and envy and dissension uh, is produced from this. They're constantly causing friction. What's their motive? They imagine that godliness is a means of gain, or ungodliness is a means, or godliness is a means of gain. 
But, verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Why? We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And he's describing what covetousness can do to us. And he's giving the solution. Godliness, uh, pursuing God, knowing God. In other words, holiness with contentment. I'm content in this place. I'm content in being pursuing holiness. Not things in this world, but holiness. We notice here that, they, that, that Paul is, is giving a, a solution, if you will. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Why? You didn't bring anything into the world. You're not taking anything with you. The great beauty is that God has given us, through Jesus Christ, great gain that is undeserved by us. Completely and totally. So seek His kingdom. Seek His righteousness. Seek His holiness. Godliness be the way of your life. And rest in that. None of these things will give you the joy nor the pleasure that knowing Christ will give you. Don't love this world. We fight against this by, uh, by being content. A few more verses that are helpful to us. First of all, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. It says in verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Man, he's, he's letting us know right here, you don't have to fall in love with money. You don't have to have piles and piles of money because I am your provider, God says. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I am your satisfaction. I am your safety and your security. I am your provision. Us coveting takes our trust away from the providence of God. He provides for us. This doesn't mean we don't pursue education and good jobs and things like that that help us to live well in this world. It means that these things cannot be our heart. So as we think about these things, we need to understand that contentment is the enemy of covetousness. Learning how to be content 
as Paul did in Philippians chapter 4. Look with me there. Philippians chapter 4. He says in verse 11, responding to the Philippian church that had revived their concern for him, they didn't have opportunity to share, and he's saying, I'm not speaking of being in need. I'm not speaking in that way. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul here is speaking of contentment as being something that we grow to learn. That we learn as we live. we live. Because we find ourselves in different circumstances. We find ourselves in a time of need or a time of, uh, you know, where we don't have something that we we believe that we need right then. He says, in every situation, no matter what it is, whether I'm low, whether I'm high, whether I have plenty, whether I'm starving, whether I'm hungry, if I've got abundance or a need, I'm content in that. Why? Why? Because he surrendered everything to the Lord. He knows that God is his provision. He knows that God is his supplier. And he knows that God has called him as his child. And he also knows if God doesn't supply now, he will fulfill the promise that he's made to me in Christ Jesus and that I will Never hunger or thirst again. I will always be with him. So often these verses are applied to, you know what, if I think about it enough, I can do well. You know, I I can do all things through him. Through a verse taken out of context. I said that here not long ago. Next week I had a coffee mug that had it on there, you know. I like that coffee mug. Makes me feel strong. No. What Paul's saying is that he can do the things through Christ, who is the one who strengthens, who is the one who provides. I don't need the things of this world. I need to fulfill the calling that God has given me. That's what I need. That's my food, that's my drink. And if God wills that I starve to death, may His will be done. He learned to be content. I want to close with five things. I don't remember who did this. He's he's long dead, but I don't remember who did this. Maybe you'll remember uh, intended to look it up, thought that his name was on here, and it's not. But he wrote this, If we wish to gain contentment, we might try such rules as these. 
You want to gain contentment? I do. None of us have arrived at contentment. Here's some practical things. Allow yourself to complain of nothing. Not even the weather. I said to somebody this morning, we sure need some rain. As if God doesn't know we need some rain. Don't complain about anything. Not even the weather. One reason is, is because God's in control of the weather, right? Don't complain. Second, never picture yourself to yourself under any circumstances in which you are not. Don't imagine yourself in some dire straits. If you're not in dire straits. Don't imagine yourself as winning the Powerball and having all this money to do with. Don't imagine yourself married to some guy that never ages and does everything right and washes dishes Don't imagine yourself married to a wife who doesn't have to color her hair and is just perfect in every way in terms of looking at her. But you still have to wash the dishes. Don't imagine yourself in some circumstance, some situation in which you are not. Do you know what that leads to? Worry. Don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus said. Today has enough trouble of its own. Don't picture yourself under circumstances in which you are not. Third, never compare your own situation with that of another. Just don't do it. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't compare your family to other families. Instead, fathers, raise your children up in the teaching and admonition of the Lord. Your children. Don't compare your your. Uh, your situation to that of another. Don't compare your wealth to that of someone else your same age. Don't compare yourself to someone who has more possessions than you. Don't compare yourself who, to someone who has more education than you. Be content in the situation in which you are. And work toward Lord willing, improving that situation according to his provision.
as he provides you education, as he provides you work, as he provides you relationships that are in line with him. Never, number four, never allow yourself to dwell on the wish that this or that had been or were otherwise than it was or is. God Almighty loves you better and more wisely than you do yourself. In other words, don't look back at this situation and say, if I'd only done this, or if someone else had only done that, because there's nothing in the, in the past that you can change. You can't make it different. Fifth, never dwell on tomorrow. I kind of covered that already. Remember that it's God's, not yours. The heaviest part of sorrow often is to look forward to it. I got to say that again because I like that. The heaviest part of sorrow often is to look forward to it. Don't even know what it's like tomorrow. The Lord will provide. Keeping these commands and how these commands affect us, we learn from Israel. Keeping these commands, living a moral life, not murdering, not lying, all these things. Keeping them will not get you into the kingdom of God. Only Christ can do that. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Another way of saying that is what we cannot do because we're incapable of doing it. Christ has done. He who knew no sin became sin for us sinners who could not please God, who could not keep the law. It is only through Christ that any of us will gain entrance into the kingdom of God. His sacrifice on the cross, His being our propitiation, Him being the substitute for our sin, only by Him can we have forgiveness of sin and the free gift of eternal life. This one who died and was buried and rose. Our faith in him saves us. It is only through Christ that we will obtain entrance into the kingdom of God. But when I come to Christ, the law helps me in growing and knowing what pleases God and how God is pleased by faith alone. Lord, how shall I live? Like the soldier said to John the Baptist, what shall we do? Walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. That's where this comes in handy. That's where this helps us. 
Because the law says don't covet. And now I have something to war against in my flesh. Although Christ has given me life. He called us to himself to live in a way that is pleasing to him. And we do that by faith, not by works. But the works we do are the evidence that Christ has indeed worked in us and transferred us from darkness into light. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your gracious love. I thank you, God, for these commands. Not only do they speak to us about the character of who you are, but they speak to us about uh, the character of those who are yours. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would walk as those who are yours. God, that we would have in us the attitudes, the motives that are right. And, Father, that we would war against sin in our life. These commands uh, reveal the sinfulness, Lord, of our own hearts. And I pray, God, that we would be renewed in the Spirit of God. We would be renewed by the Word of God. And, Father, that we would uh, have great desire in us, Lord, to live according to your will and according to your word. Father, I pray that you would set us apart continually, sanctify us, and make us your very own. Uh, Transform us, Lord, into the image of your Son, that we may walk as he walked. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.